In a previous episode, we covered all things deadlift, everything you could ever want to know about pulling off the ground. That's right. So case now, closed. Case closed. So <laughs> the barbell is as close to the earth as possible in the deadlift. Now we're going to get the barbell as far away from the earth as possible for the overhead mm. lifts. So we're going to dive into the press. By that, we mean the shoulder press, the push press, the push jerk, and the split jerk. And when I think mm. of these lifts, I think of I think a few people better than you because each one of those is more requiring, uh, more demanding of flexibility and technique of which you have in spades. Yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, I, in jest, I have referred to both the push press and the push jerk as the skinny guy's secret weapon. You know, as a, <laughs> as a resident skinny guy, um, I, can, I can do okay if you let me get my hips involved. I can you, hang with the big boys a little bit know more what? than I would be otherwise. You know, it just popped into my head, not to already derail the podcast, but that <laughs> that just launched into my head. Isn't there a really old workout video that you did on, on .com with Freddie Camacho that involved oh, yes. a, a heavy overhead jerk and maybe a, a, a burpee or something else? But it looking at the workout, the barbell loading overhead was rugged, especially for the year that that got programmed. Yeah. And if you're looking at like Freddie was a monster at shoulder press, more so than you, that the uninitiated may think that he had the advantage, but that wasn't how it played out. So that just popped in my head. Give us, if you remember that workout. Oh, give I us remember a, it vividly. Give us a walk down memory lane. What was the workout and how did it play out? Well, this is probably 2008, I would guess. And uh, I believe the workout was called Freddy's Revenge because we had done okay. a workout previously that he got a little bit spanked in. <laughs> and um, I so can't this remember one, how to double. This one was programmed maybe to cater to his strengths. Yeah, yeah. That was the thinking initially was that, you know, he would be able to uh, bury us on the, on the lifting. Um, and it was, I remember it was me, it was Jason Kalipa, um, Freddie, I think Pat Barber might have been there too. Okay. And I don't remember if Jolie Gentry worked out with us or not. She uh, may I have. I tend to think that she was involved because I'm trying to remember the yeah. video. I can't remember. But at any rate, the way it played out was... What was the, what I think was I, the workout? I, I, you know, I, it, it was um, shoulder to overhead and yep. burpees. I think it was just those two movements and like five to seven rounds. And I don't I remember the rep right. scheme. I it might have been was, 10 and 10, something like that. I think but it I was 185 pounds on the barbell. Definitely 185 pounds. 100% remember that. And, you know, in 2008, that was, that was some big boy weights. I mean, it still is. It's heavy. Right. Well, and I did you know, okay. Well over your body weight. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I've been a cool 165 like forever and it never really changes much. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I think I got second right behind Kalipa in that one. Yeah. So and I, I think was, what was, was interesting, was in my prime, Pat. <laughs> yes, true. But also, <laughs> but also again, leading back to what we're going to chat about today, you were, what you potentially did not have in old school exercise science, contractile potential in your muscles, you did have in the productive application of force, you know, with, with your technique Indeed. dependent. And that allowed you, since it was a shoulder to overhead and not a shoulder press, it allowed yep. you to use beautiful core to extremity movement, use some big muscles to move that weight and, you know, march into victory because yeah. Freddie was always one of those guys who had a monster shoulder press, correct? 
Absolutely. Yeah. Very strong guy overall. Yeah. Still is, I believe. For sure. And there's quite a difference between the strict shoulder press to now we're going to get more musculature involved. There's sequencing that's taking place, the push press or the push jerk. And so, yeah. So for anyone who's a likes their CrossFit history or whatnot, maybe go on to the good old YouTubes or whatnot or Google and <laughs> you know, type in CrossFit, Freddy's Revenge or whatnot. And that should be, that would be a wonderful trip down memory lane. Yeah, it was a good time. I remember that one. It was fun. You probably had a few less tattoos. Yes, this is very true. I did. <laughs> okay, <laughs> a all right. more muscles. We're, we're back on track now. We're back on track. The overhead lifts. So let's start with just what is the most simple lift, the press, but just because mm-hmm. it's simple doesn't mean it ha- it's lacking any sort of tremendous value or utility. So what are some key aspects of the shoulder press that you would like to communicate to coaches, trainers, yeah. or you know, garage, just garage athletes? Well, number one, I think before we start on specific techniques, I think it's important to note that the starting position, the ending position is going to be identical for almost every one of these variations. And so there's utility just in that, you know, the flexibility that it takes to get into a good rack position, the flexibility that it takes to get into a a nice stacked, efficient overhead position. Mm -hmm. That's a huge benefit, regardless of the technique that you choose to get there. Now, obviously, it's going to be a little bit easier to land the plane, so to speak, when you're not worrying about so many technical complexities or you're not trying to get there immediately. Right. So starting with a less aggressive, less technical lift allows you to develop those positions a little bit easier, in my opinion. So right away, the press offers that kind of utility. You can really start to develop the positions and get comfortable with them before you have to land on there, you know, on a dime, so to speak. So that's number one. Number two, I think, is the obvious, which is the strength that you'll develop with a stricter movement like the press is going to be unparalleled. You'll, you'll mm-hmm. develop a different level of upper body strength than you will once you start getting the hips involved. So if you're looking to really shore up any weakness in the shoulder girdle or just your upper body in general, um, especially upper body pushing strength, the press is going to have a huge, huge, uh, it should occupy a huge, huge uh, part of your toolkit. Put it that way. But not one of those flashy lifts. It's so it's so no. easy. You know, I, I exactly. don't want to get in my soapbox, but I think shoulder press is one of those things that most people could use more shoulder press in their life because it's it's totally. so foundational and such a building block, but it doesn't have the Instagram flash, but it's fantastic. Hey. And I liken it in my head to the same reason that I would encourage an athlete to develop strict pull-ups before they start adding velocity to a movement and doing kipping pull-ups or whatnot. Before you try to start adding a lot of velocity to getting something overhead. Let's let's develop a good, static, strong base from which we can then add some velocity. Yeah, and I'll give you a quote. You know, this is from Jim Schmitz, who was a, still is an Olympic weightlifting coach in South San Francisco. He coached the uh, men's national team decades and decades ago. He's part of the rich history of Olympic lifting in the United States. And I had the good fortune to train with um, Jim a little while when I was getting into lifting and uh, he always used to end his, not always, but a lot of the times his programs would end with a couple of almost bodybuilding style sets of overhead press. And, uh, you know, we'd ask him about it, be like, this doesn't really seem like an Olympic lifting finisher. 
And he'd push up his glasses and he'd say, well, you start doing shoulder press and uh, you'll get delts on a pencil. <laughs> sure. And right. I thought, yeah, it's, it's as good a reason as any. <laughs> you start to develop that strength to recover from a position that might not be optimal. So. And I also am a big fan of the shoulder press if we want to talk for a second about just general workouts, scaling things yep. of that nature. People who maybe have an aversion to being inverted, you know, they, they want to kick upside mm -hmm. down, get into a handstand, not ready for a handstand push-up yet. Shoulder press all day long, you know, at 50, 60% of your one rep max, something like that. If you're doing a, a JT, a Nate, I mean, the shoulder press is not going to treat you poorly. Barbell, dumbbells, I don't even care. Just... Yep. Just do some darn shoulder press. Yeah, absolutely. And do them right. Get to the right position, full range of motion, you know, no half reps above the head. Mm -hmm. Do them right. And now we could also say, you mentioned how for the press, that the start position and the finish position will be the same as we continue down this progression. Yep. I would say something interesting as well is that you could say that all, you know, it's a head to toe lift, even the strict shoulder yeah, press, absolutely. you know, from the bottoms of your feet to the tips of your fingers at the top of the lift, everything is tight and engaged, even if it's not moving, if it's playing more mm -hmm. of an isometric role. So all of the same musculature will be involved in all of these movements, but they will play a little bit of a different role. The, the abdominals, the spinal erectors, well, they'll stay largely in a stabilization role as we continue down this, mm -hmm. this progression right here. But something such as the legs right now, the lower body and the shoulder press anyway, don't think that you're glutes and your hamstrings and your quads aren't engaged in a shoulder press. I mean, those are under tension, rigid, driving down through the floor so that base of support is as rock solid as possible. So while they play a static role in the press, everything in the lower body will just become more dynamic as we get down the road. But, but they're, still, they're still along right now, even in the shoulder press. Yeah, absolutely. In the same way that the coordination for, you know, you mentioned an inverted movement like a handstand or a handstand push-up. You know, when you're developing a strict handstand push-up, it's not going to go well if you've forgotten about what your legs are doing while you're trying to press back out to extension. It's the same thing in the press. And what I like as we start to go from press to push press now, we start to go down the progression. You know, we've just been singing the praises of the shoulder press, so I don't, I don't want to make these other ones sound cooler yeah, yeah. and fancier and better and like I'm closer friends with them. You know, they're, they're all related. But what's great is as we start to go now into the press, the uh, push press, the push jerk, and we add a bit of velocity and a bit of oh, complexity, yeah. now you're getting some potentially, I don't want to say added benefit because that implies the benefit isn't there in the shoulder press. But when we start to talk about athleticism and out in the, the, the sports field where explosive hip opening is critical and explosiveness and power and speed. Well, we're just starting to get more and more and more into that territory as we go down this progression. So since there's some very exciting stuff, not only for the recreational gym goer, the garage enthusiast, but also the, the athlete as well, you'll be, you'll be happy. So now yeah. we take the shoulder press and what change is now moving to the push press? Why not just stick with the darn shoulder press for the rest of your life? Yeah, great, uh, great call. And I mean, you certainly could, and you just keep working those cannonball delts. You'd be, you could be a happy, <laughs> happy specimen. Dan um, Bailey. But yeah, yeah, exactly. It's interesting because I think you have, this is the dividing line in my mind where you start to have the 
average gym goer who is just following a bodybuilding style routine, they immediately, upon seeing something like a push press or a jerk, don't usually have a frame of reference for it. And then they start to criticize something that they don't fully understand. So absolutely, when that we was to me. The push press, that was yeah, me, by the way, sure. for my previous CrossFit days, for sure. So the push press and the push jerk both are going to capitalize on the hips and legs, creating the initial momentum on the bar that drives it up. So you're going to dip, you're going to drive with the hips and legs with the goal of launching the bar off of your chest and getting it started in the upward motion. In the push press, once your hips and legs are straight again, you're going to keep them straight and you're going to follow through with the arms. So it's really just a down and up to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, so what you allow yourself to do is share the load, not just with the muscles of the upper body, which are always going to be comparatively weak, uh, when you're looking at the, the body as a whole. So now we've got the lower body contributing. We can lift much heavier weights. We can do a lot more reps with the, uh, same weights that we had during something like the shoulder mm-hmm. press. So the overall effect on the system as a whole can become much, much greater. So that the sense of overload, the total experience that the body has to go through can now be radically different with something like push press. And we get into something, now we're starting to use the lower body in a dynamic instead of a static manner. And I like that for several reasons. You know, I mentioned a second ago, the just athletic pursuits in general, explosive hip opening dynamic. But now we're getting into that core to extremity movement pattern, which Mm-hmm. And an oversimplification of that would be we want you to, in general, use bigger muscles before you use smaller muscles. So yeah. the muscles of your midline, your glutes, and your hamstrings are far larger than your shoulders. We would like you to recruit those, then pass it off to the shoulders. And that's, in general, that core to extremity movement pattern, relating it back to sports, is the wonderful and beautiful and effective way that you see people run, jump, throw, punch, it's, it's largely done core to extremity. So, so to be able to train in the gym in a way that's going to have some immediate translation to what you do out in the field of sport mm-hmm. is fantastic. And I also like when we start to have a bit of velocity with the push press because in my mind, we're now blurring the line of strength and conditioning. Whereas from a shoulder press, you could say it's it's purely strength. You know, I don't get a lot of my metabolic conditioning happening with just a seven sets of one shoulder press. But now sure. I can put a movement like a push press into a multi-round mixed modality workout and demand and improve in my athlete not only their, their pressing ability and their strength, because that's certainly required in the push press, but there's a hit that occurs with the lungs that doesn't take place largely with the shoulder press. So we start to get into, as far as I'm concerned, some kind of unique and very exciting areas that when I was brand new to CrossFit, didn't understand, didn't appreciate, and didn't realize, uh, quite frankly, how impactful they were. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting about the push press too, on just kind of a very, very base level, is how intuitive it is. And I mean, you see it, as kind of the de facto movement, whenever somebody hits a point of failure with, with a standing overhead press, the first thing they're going to do is try to, quote, cheat the movement a little bit right. with some drive of the hips and the legs. 
But in a lot of people's mind, as soon as you identify that as a valid technique separate from the press and actually work to refine it, now suddenly you're cheating. It's like, like, no, no, no. They're actually two different things with two Mm -hmm. different end states. So, yeah. And that's one of those things too, where somebody had never heard of the push press and you just, you tricked them and you had them do shoulder press to failure. And then you pulled out a a briefcase with said a million dollars and said, if you get that barbell overhead one more time, this is yours. They would suddenly learn the push press. It would just, exactly. It would, there would be like you said, uh, a dip drive, you know, let's, let's regress for one second because there's a question I want to ask about the push press, but I didn't ask it about the shoulder press. Okay. So for the shoulder press, you've done a tremendous amount of coaching scene. Lord only knows how many people in person, you know, shoulder pressing. What would you say is a common fault for the shoulder press? You know, can't keep it on the shelves. One of your best sellers that you know, somebody, <laughs> somebody, you know, teaching themselves this movement or wants to analyze themselves should be on the lookout for. Yeah, I think the top two, in my opinion, I mean, there's probably... Man, hard to pick one. The top two that I'm going to land on is not to say that they're the only things that'll pop up, but number one is just a misunderstanding of the overhead position. I think in the beginning, that's really hard for beginners to consistently get to the right spot with the bar stacked over the body correctly. Um, So that's number one. And then the way the bar gets there, I think is probably number two. Most people in the beginning they're not going to be comfortable keeping the bar as close to the face as Mm. it is required to be for an effective press. They're going to intuitively push away from the face a little bit. The angle is going to be off and then it's going to feel even harder than it needs to. You don't want to do that because I mean, it's already a hard enough movement. Don't make it harder than it has to be. (laughs) Right. Oh, for sure. You mentioned in that statement right there, uh, potentially a lack of understanding of what a proper overhead position is. And you yeah. said stacked, but maybe somebody can't quite picture what that means. When you say a proper sure. overhead position, since this applies to all the lifts, it's a good thing to know. How would you articulate what a proper overhead position is? Yeah, you've got the bar or whatever it is that you're lifting over the head. And if you were looking at somebody from the profile view or the side, you'd see that the the object is right over top of their wrist, which is over top of their elbow. Their arms are locked out. The elbows directly over the scaps. And then we've got shoulder, hip, knee, and ankle lined up. So it's this nice kind of dividing line from object overhead right into the floor, balanced nicely over the athlete's body. And if most you... People, most people in the beginning are going to want to have that bar a little bit more forward than it needs to be. Okay. Trying to hold it up with the delts as opposed to supporting it on the upper back as kind of a shelf. And if you had that position that you just described, you're, you're sideways to the athlete, you're looking at them from profile, they have the barbell locked out overhead. And if I was the one with the barbell overhead, what you would notice immediately is a massive C shape in my spine because <laughs> it's also going to be really obvious that position is going to be very demanding for somebody that doesn't have adequate flexibility to keep their body posturally sure. how it should be and has to compensate in some other areas. So it's a good opportunity to learn about yourself mm-hmm. or to learn about your athletes. And you might, you might identify a, a point of restriction they have that you weren't aware until all of a sudden you're like, hmm, well, that overhead position doesn't quite look like how it should. What, what do we have going on there? Wow, your lats yeah. are just astonishingly tight. So yeah, <laughs> go, ahead and, go ahead and check that out. So now push press, same question. Top one or two falls that you see on a regular basis. Um, 
Yeah, everything's going to kind of carry over. So if you have a poor position in the press, it's not going to magically fix itself when you get to something sure. more dynamic and okay, more so aggressive. We'll assume that the same okay. faults carry over Got on all it. lifts. Yes, always should. Um, I think the big one is uh, having to do with the dip. So the dip a lot of times is going to be misunderstood. People are going to dip in a way that really drives their knees forward and tucks their pelvis underneath, which is a relatively weaker movement because you're not drawing on the full complement of muscles of the lower body. You're mostly pushing that job off to the quads only. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we definitely want the quads to be driving uh, the, the weight up, but we also want the glutes and hamstrings to contribute to that. Everything should be working. And that's only possible if we've got a nice little bend in the hip. So we don't want to shoot the hips back. So the torso pitches forward, that's going to create its own set of problems. You want to dip nice and upright, but if you're shooting the hips forward or you're shooting the hips back too ex excessively, you're going to run into problems. So really finding that perfect dip is probably the number one most difficult thing to developing a really good push press. And that shooting of the hips forward, if you're a fan of the CrossFit Journal or whatnot, you'll, you'll recently, recently, you'll often hear it referred to as a <laughs> muted hip. Yeah. Yeah, or the exactly. pelvis chasing the leg, for example. So yeah. yes, for because, sure. And, and, and to extend on that idea, the idea there is that the hips power and ability to contribute to the lift is muted or dampened. And that's why it's referred to as that. So now we've taken the shoulder press, start position, same, midline stabilization, critical the whole time, line of action, the finish position. For the push press, we added some velocity to it. We had this nice, beautiful vertical dip drive. We started to get more load overhead once or the same load overhead for more repetitions, all great things. And now, as if it couldn't get any better, it does. There's, <laughs> gonna, be, there's gonna be something that allows us to get even more loading overhead or do more repetitions with the same amount of weight, but it will come at a, uh, at a price of being more demanding from a technique and a complexity standpoint and sequencing. You know, we've got to do a bit of learning here. So now we yep. enter the realm of the push jerk. What is in store for oh, the yeah. athlete? Well, we're gonna take that same idea of using the legs and the hips to generate the initial momentum going up and then the concept is as soon as that bar is on its way up, it's got momentum. It's going to keep going up for some time. While it is going up, you're going to simultaneously start dropping under by letting the hips and legs flex and punching your arms out to extension. So what you've got is this kind of weightless effect. Of course, you're not actually weightless, but... In effect, with that opposing motion, the bar is going up and you're going down, you don't really have to do much with the upper body to lock the load out. Once it's in the locked out position, then you're going to stand it up with the hips and legs exclusively. So another way to think about it is that we've got this inverse relationship between the lifts where on the press, it's almost primarily an upper body lift with obviously the support of the rest of the body keeping you stable. But as you go further along this trajectory of complexity and dynamism from push press to push jerk, the amount of effort that the upper body has to put into the bar to be successful is going to diminish and the amount of hip involvement and leg involvement is going to increase. So you got this kind of cross action going on there too. And for reference, see Freddy's Revenge.
See Freddy's Revenge. That's right. Case closed. <laughs> yes. I mean, that is that is exactly what we're talking about yeah. here is, is a, a, yeah, I don't want to call anything about your shoulder press, you know, uh, anything less than complimentary, but, but, the, <laughs> but the ability to recruit these strong, much more powerful lower extremities to amplify what your upper body does or does not have over and over again, you will see it in application. Yep. And getting back to what we spoke of, at the beginning of core to extremity movement patterns, as we move from press to push press to push jerk, those neurological components are demanded greatly, the coordination, accuracy, agility, and balance, and all of that stuff, if you will, that seems hard to learn at first. Why am I doing this? It's giving me a headache. I'm not progressing as quickly as I will. Well, the payoff is worth it, not only in the gym with the barbell and your strength and conditioning, whatever it happens to be, but everything about your just everyday life or your performance on the athletic field will be improved by you becoming more technically proficient, more explosive, and able to yeah. recruit and use what you already have in a more efficient way. Everything will be well, better, in, so stick with it. In, in a coordinated effort, right? In like it's no good effort, yes. to have a collection of body parts that can't work together. That's mm -hmm. nobody's impressed with that when you actually have to do something in the world when you're like, well, my arm on its own is insanely strong, but I cannot coordinate that into something else. Nobody mm -hmm. cares. And so it's the same thing here. You're teaching that those, those body parts to work together in a coordinated fashion. So yeah, hugely athletic. And, and one more thing I'll say about the jerk. And this is where I think a lot of people in the beginning have a hard time. I like to zoom out and think about the big picture and, and kind of broad application. This movement concept is the same in every Olympic lift. So I'm trying to get the bar to go up using the biggest muscles possible. Once the bar is going up and it's got some momentum, meaning it's, it's going to take a while for it to stop going mm -hmm. up and return and come back down, I'm going to use that opportunity for my smaller muscles to sneak me under the bar. And then once I've snuck under the bar, I'm going to stand up again using the larger muscles of my body. And that's true. You see exactly the same thing, obviously, with different sequencing and musculature and, and positioning in the clean and the snatch. But that's the concept. I try to get this thing going up as hard as I can using the biggest muscles possible to afford myself an opportunity to get underneath it and then stand it up. I, I think people miss that. They don't connect that because they look so different. In the sure. beginning, they're like, what does a snatch have to do with the jerk? What does a jerk have to do with the clean? They're like, well, conceptually, if you boil it down, they're the same. Mm -hmm. They're all interconnected. Yeah. I personally think somebody who performs the push jerk well, I think it is one of the most beautiful movements on the face of the earth from the sequencing, receiving it in a solid position. It is, mm -hmm. it's and it's so demanding of flexibility, too, that I find it gorgeous because it's so yeah. challenging for me that I have such an appreciation for people who do it well. And it captures my attention and awe much more so than the split jerk. No, nothing mm. against the split jerk. Nothing against it. But when I see somebody receive a, a deep, low push oh, yeah. jerk, I'm like, oh, man, like, it's, just, it's just cool as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, if you think about it, the requirements are basically like a narrow grip, often narrow stance, overhead squat right. with a big weight. <laughs> yes. So the demands there are pretty huge. It's, it speaks, without knowing a whole lot of other things about the person, it speaks to their capacity in just one movement. It's Absolutely. It's yep. pretty amazing. So I mentioned 
the split jerk. So let's let's touch on that for a second because yeah. there is another way to get maybe what people would say the most load that most people will get overhead is not through the push jerk. It's going to be the split yeah. jerk. Yet we frequently see the push jerk embraced more often than we do the split jerk when it comes to CrossFit and workouts and whatnot. So yeah. we'll get to why that is or why it isn't. But what is what is the split jerk and how do we differentiate it a bit from the push jerk? So this is where I think people start to get, again, a little bit fuzzy in their thinking about these lifts. A lot of times people will view the split jerk and the push jerk as completely different movements. And, and again, if you're going to be a purist about weightlifting, well, obviously you're going to have to be a lot more technical and pay a little bit more attention to detail if that's all that you want to get. But as generalists, mm -hmm. I think it's important to, to think about the broad application. And so again, broadly, the dip that you do to load your hips and legs and the drive that you do to make the bar go up will be identical in both of these. The only thing that changes now is the footwork. And so conceptually, I'm still trying to use that opportunity to sneak under the weight. I'm just going to do it in a slightly different way. Instead of using a little mini squat to, to lock out my arms and then stand up with the weight, I'm going to lower my center of mass by letting my legs widen, which mm -hmm. is going to naturally drop me underneath. And the advantage there for a lot of people is that it allows the torso to remain completely upright. I've taken a little bit of the flexibility demands out of the lift that you're going to see when you do something like a really deep split jerk. In that split, I'm sorry, in the uh, push jerk. In mm -hmm. the push jerk, no matter how good your jerk is, typically you're going to see the torso lean forward slightly when you get into that little let's call it a baby overhead squat receiving position. Mm -hmm. And that's going to put a lot more demand on the upper back, upper back and shoulders specifically when you're talking about the flexibility required to do it. So if you can eliminate that by keeping the torso a little bit more upright and just letting the legs open up to allow the drop, the position can be a big advantage, especially if somebody's not quite as flexible as, you know, their, their friend down the road or whatever. So that's the major advantage. And, and I'll, I'll say that there's a lot of debate about what the more stable position is when you get into the upper echelons of weightlifting. I mean, you, you can see some championship lifts sure. using either technique. And so at that level, it becomes a little bit more of a question of what does the lifter prefer and what does their body type favor more than one absolute you know, best path to most weight. Because you'll routinely hear that the split jerk offers you a larger base of support. And therefore, if you have sure. a larger base of support, you maybe have a little more, I don't want to say room for error because you don't want to make an error with a big weight overhead, but it's a little more yeah. forgiving. Maybe that's a better way to say that it's yep. better, it can be a bit more forgiving than the push jerk and probably yep. related to what you just said of, well, there's less demands of flexibility. The torso angle is a little bit different and those things with the split stance might be why some folks find it more more forgiving as well. Absolutely. Yep. So is there in your opinion a reason where why it seems to be that the push jerk is favored in a lot of CrossFit workouts versus the split jerk? Yeah, for sure. Yep, and that that's going to boil down to just the ability to cycle it faster. When your feet are, you know, staying in a relatively similar position during the push jerk, you know, and with a weight that's not a max effort, mm -hmm. a lot of times you can get away with a technique that, that you don't really have to move them at all. 
So because of that, you can get a lot more repetitions done in a much faster time frame. And so for a workout that's more geared towards conditioning or repetitions or accumulating reps or whatever, um, you're going to have a big advantage there. You're not going to have to take these big mo movements every rep to try to finish the weight. So for that reason, you're going to see that pop up a lot more frequently when you're getting into you know, a, a mixed mode CrossFit workout. And if you're a, a fan of going back and diving into some old journals, which I recommend everybody does, there's, there's just yeah. some gems in there. There's an article entitled Shoulder Press, Push Press, Push Jerk, The Overhead oh, Lift. I think I remember this one. The Overhead Lift. And it was written in January 2003. So if you want to go back mm. and dive through that, it's short. It's maybe three or four pages, but it's great. It's just a bunch of pertinent information and you will benefit from it. And in that article, it says, and this is something we would reference frequently back when I used to do the level ones, and uh, I don't know if they do anymore, you can let me know. But we used to say to kind of get the, the impact of these, these lifts and the benefit across to the audience, we would say, look, whatever you shoulder press, in general, you can add about 30% of that, if you're technically proficient, add about 30% of that, and that's maybe what you can one rep push press, and then you add... 30% to that, and again, based upon your ability to be a technician, you could add about 30% to your push press, and that would be your push jerk number. So what that would come out to, in case the numbers don't make sense, let's say that somebody shoulder pressed 100 pounds. That was their one rep max. Well, by that math, it's, you know, it's general. You could push press maybe about 130, and your push jerk might be in the neighborhood of 170. Mm -hmm. um, thoughts on that rough number from what, you know, what lives in textbooks to what you know you've seen in coaching and working with athletes yeah i think that um if you if you're looking at just the kind of raw differences between them i think that still holds up i think where people they want to take that and use it as an absolute or right. some sort of um marker for progress that if they're not 30 percent more uh proficient I guess we could say with one lift versus the other that they're somehow lagging behind mm -hmm. or whatever. And I, that, that is not the intent of that. I think it was more illustrative to show the power of these techniques, not to say that this is something that's aspirational. Um, because I, I, what I've seen over the years is that most people, when they get good at the push press and good at the push jerk, yes, there's going to be a difference, but it's not going to be nearly as wide as a 30% uh, increase mm -hmm. in the beginning. Sure. But Point being, I don't think that holds. Point being, work them all. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and take, it, take that for what it is. It's yep. illustrative of the advantage that you get when you start using the hips and legs more and more and more. So unless you feel like we've neglected anything, I've got one more just question or topic that we could end on. But again, anything else that we should mention before we get out of here? No, I mean, uh, the, the one thing is, uh, I'll tell you, there's some obscure overhead lifts out there that are fun to mess around with. Um, you know, like the bent press is one that nobody really gives a lot of love to. And it's admittedly, it was a circus lift, you know, like it was an old time strongman lift that they used to use. But it's interesting because it uses the same basic idea of moving your body away from the weight until you can get lockout and then standing it up. Okay. And so it's fun when you kind of take a look at some of these things and you start to notice the similarities between these techniques, even though they're very, very different. So it's a slower, smoother lift, but it's still using the same idea of your torso is going to bend away from the weight as the weight basically remains in a static position 
which allows you to straighten the arm and then stand it up. So it's, it's kind of interesting, but Very just something, cool. to, yeah. something to dive into if you've got some free time and, and you're interested in like the history of physical culture. It's a really cool kind of footnote. Obviously everything that we've chatted about today, you just don't have to do it with a barbell. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a ton of utility. And I would say, I mean, if you want to develop the positions to a high degree of um, confidence, mm -hmm. using a dumbbell is a great way to do it because you're going to know right away if one side <laughs> yes. is a little bit more confident than the other or a little bit yep. more flexible than the other. I mean, it's a great way to, to do it. So yeah, mess around with that. It, it, uh, it can shed some light on some weak links that you might not have considered. In closing, this is the last thing that I'll mention. So I referenced the CrossFit Journal article that everybody may want to check out entitled The Overhead Lifts back in January 2003, uh, written by Greg Glassman. And in that, I'm going to paraphrase. I'm not going to get Greg's words exactly right. But the paraphrasing is that, you know, a lot of people in popular culture may look to the bench press as the undisputed yep. king of the upper body presses, period, end of story. But that that is not giving some of these overhead lifts that we just mentioned the credit that they deserve. And it doesn't recognize the fact that they might take that crown from the bench press just based upon everything that we've chatted about. And that is not to say that the bench press isn't a great lift. It doesn't have utility. But if we're looking to put a crown somewhere, where do you put that crown? Oh, man. I mean, if you're asking me to choose, gun to my head, <laughs> I, I would probably land on the push press, to be honest. I think it's the nice, a nice blend of upper body strength, but still that coordinated effort. Um, you know, you get a ton of load. And I think mm -hmm. the argument that a lot of people are going to make with the bench press, which is true, is that it offers a really, really sound way to load the upper body heavily. Yeah, you know, you're, you're always going to be able to bench more than you're going to press just due to the physics behind the lift mm -hmm. you got a much greater advantage there's much more muscle mass that can act on the bar in that plane of motion and for that reason it's a great developmental exercise um but what it what it does gain in sheer loading potential it's going to lose as far as coordination and positional awareness and flexibility of the shoulder girdle and complete development of the upper body musculature. You know, when you get to that truly sound overhead position, you're building a lot of really, really great protective strength in the shoulder girdle um, up, up into the upper back. And that's a really beneficial thing that's missing from something like a bench press. So not to say it's not a great lift. Yep. You can load yourself up. You can get really, really strong. <laughs> oh yeah. You should be benching. I mean, I don't think that's a uh, even an argument that, you know, like, yeah, you should bench, throw it in the mix once in a while. Um, but if I had to pick one, I'm, I'm landing on the push press. That's my favorite. I, I, I think you made a robust case for that. I was going to simplify it. Just I would pick the overhead lifts instead of the bench, but you wouldn't, you picked ah, okay. a specific one. It was great. That was, that was absolutely, that was absolutely fantastic. I can't follow that up. It was, it was great. So I hope everybody. I thought I had to pick oh, one. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you thought that. I hope everybody benefited from this. So we've covered the deads. We've covered the overhead lifts. I, I don't want to promise anything, but I'm sure we'll get around to the squats eventually. I hope everybody's in, enjoying these and finding them educational. And as always, if you're listening to them in a pure audio podcast format, of course, thank you. But we encourage everybody to go over to the BTWB YouTube channel, find this particular episode, find the video, and in the comments, 
write down what you love. What did you hate? Do you have a, a new topic that we should uh, talk about? Did we forget something really important about one of these lifts? Or, or do you have a stronger case for the bench press? You think Bob's is crazy. We want to hear all of those things. We pay attention to them. They help drive the content. So for Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.